BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, I gotta know, Johnny. Just if I were to take a bite of that awful pie at that contest, is it? Would I have gotten? Would the fork so have like, broken I'm through the crust? I'm literally taking this random pie that I've never made before and can't even try. <laughs> To watch, can, like, you know, the judges eat it in front of me. <laughs> Idaho's finest. Fanatics. Everyone's got their thing. Fanatics. What's my age again? Now, I'm not going to tell you. Okay, and just reminding you all, we're going to talk about all things Dexter today because this is Fanatics, the Dexter episodes, but maybe we'll talk about all the small things. What are these references? I'm going to tell you right now. Claire Kramer, you're my co-host. I'm David Magadoff. I'm Claire Kramer's co-host. And today we have on with us a special guest for our intro recap for episode six, director extraordinaire, executive producer of Dexter New Blood and a friend of mine, Mr. Marco Siega. Hello, Marcos. No way all the small things chop suey Beverly Hills, David Magadoff and Claire. (laughs) I say all this because Marcos not only is such a prolific television director, of course, Dexter Newblood, The Flight Attendant, Batwoman, You, Blind Spot, Vampire Diaries, the original Dexter series, True Blood even, but he's also a prolific music video director. Pretty much every Weezer video and Blink-182 video and even beyond this man has created. And you've even worked with the Muppets, am I correct? You are correct. (laughs) My favorite experience ever. Really? Oh, yeah. Hands down. What was Kermit like? Amazing. They were all amazing. And, And you talked to them. Oh, that's what I've heard. Everyone who's worked with them is just like, you actually forget that they're Muppets and you completely... Because they interact with you. If you were working with the Muppets, uh, Kermit would say, hey, Claire. And then you would... It's hard not to look at Kermit and talk back when he's talking to you. It was was incredible. A lot of fun. (laughs) Speaking of incredible and a lot of fun, that's what I had on set with you, Marcos, uh, for all those what became days and months in the winter of Massachusetts. So we have you on here to talk about episode six of Dexter New Blood. Claire and I have been fan geeking on the series. I, of course, have this very weird meta experience of both enjoying the series as a fan and also being like, oh, look, there I am. Oh, look, I remember where I was in that scene. I remember how cold it was that day. So it's creating more meta. Here you are to help us guide through this episode. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you, thank you. I am a fan of the original Dexter run as well, which you were involved with. So I want to start by asking, what drew you back to New Blood? I mean, was it a phone call from Michael? Was it you saw the material and you were like, I I really want to be involved with this? What brought you to New Blood? It was uh, was a phone call from Clyde and a phone call from Michael. I hadn't seen the material when they called and said, would you consider? I said, yes. Mm -hmm. I didn't hesitate a tiny bit. Just knowing that the two of them wanted to come back said everything to me because I left the show when Clyde left the show. and Which is after season four, right? Yes. After season four. And Michael and I had bonded those early years and we, we were friends but I, I couldn't bring myself to continue watching the show. I watched a little bit and kind of heard about how it ended. Mm-hmm. And then um, 
I never, I never really went back to look at, at, at those later seasons. You don't need to, you're good. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're kind of yeah, good. Then when I, when they said, do you want to, do you want to come back and do this? I jumped at it, not even worried about what the material would be just knowing that Clyde uh, wanted to do it and that Michael wanted to do it. I love the title of this episode, too many tuna sandwiches. <laughs> um, because it's kind of like this this season I have found it's about the triangulation of the relationships, father, son, father, son, you know, Caldwell, Jim Lindsay, and Harrison. So this episode really exploited that, I felt. And I'm curious from a director's point of view how it was working and dividing those two perspectives. Because this is the first time in episode six where we really see Kurt is beginning to like really lose it when he's when he full on unleashes the punching on the corpse. I'm like, ooh, that was tough to watch, you know, and that's something you never see with Dexter. He never loses control when he's in the kill or when in in the kill room. So how did you sort of create that delineation between the two mindsets of the two different killers? Uh, You know, honestly, Claire, it was on the page and the uh, execution of it. And talking to my relationship with Michael is we we get into the nuance of like what is going on in Dexter's head. It's not something we talk about on set. We have these conversations, uh, you know, on the phone. In this situation, we were on Zoom quite a bit, just so that because we we have a shorthand, and I don't want to be giving him too much direction in terms of the character stuff. My relationship with Clancy was different, but I was really careful to, um, I talked to him about the father-son relationship and how I wanted him to be Harrison's, you know, dad in getting to these moments. You'll see in the later episodes how that all comes to a head. But, um, you know, I think, look, it was, it was really on the page. So my work was, was done there. And then it's just protecting that and making mm-hmm. sure that the story works. We can, I can execute what, what that vision was and just having actors like uh, Michael and Clancy makes it easy. Uh, they're both phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. You say, you say it was all on the page, Marcos, but I, I saw how you worked, man. And you're, and you're sharing also so beautifully through social media for all the fans, just like all your storyboarding, your ideas, your drawings, your, you know, it's so cool how your vision is a real vision and we all get to see it. And so I'm going to say, I think there's a little bit more than just you, you know, doing the due diligence of the page. I appreciate that. But, you know, look, that's, that's the job, right? (laughs) They, They hire me for a point of view. And uh, but it has to start with the great material. I think uh, that question that Claire asked specifically is that delineation was was on the page. Mm-hmm. And yes, I, I put a lot of thought into how I'm going to execute and how I want the scenes to work. And it's not about for me, it's never about cool shots. It's what is Dexter experiencing here? Whose point of view am I in and how do I get the audience to feel something? So everything is kind of built around that. So I have to put a lot of thought into that. Speaking to what Claire was saying about the triangle, for me, that therapy scene, because, you know, that's a sh- I'm not there on that day or anything, you know, so I, I really do get to just sit and watch and be a fan. Claire, what did you think of that therapy scene? The therapy was- scene was really interesting because, you know, as I was watching, you know, Jim Lindsay slash Dexter Morgan, I'm wondering to myself, gosh, Deb is right. The only people who know him are the people he kills. Like, that is so true. And you could see the layers of, like, this is how I'm supposed to act. This is, oh, now this is how, this is what someone would say in this situation, you know? And even Deb, you know, as as the voice of reason, I guess, was saying, like, now you should talk because it's time for you to talk. Too much silence, you know? So uh, that scene, it was heartbreaking when Harrison shared what it was like in foster care and whatnot. And the Harrison character is definitely evolving as we've discussed. But to me, that scene was about, wow, Dexter, no one truly knows him. And that was sort of, you know, projected back at him through his relationship with Deputy Bishop this episode. And actually at the start when she confronts him and she's like, you're Dexter Morgan, you're not 
Jim Lindsay. The scene where he's pulled over was like the opening scene from episode one, right? It was like exactly the same thing, which I loved. And then when he's actually talking to her, I was like, wow, she's she is taking acting lessons from Jennifer Carpenter <laughs> because it was almost like watching Deb in that one moment, you know, talk to him. So it was it was very interesting. I don't know, David, what did you think? Well, I I I want to ask Marcos just what was it like to because you've lived with Dexter over years now, and I know you really have such a passion. We were just talking right before <laughs> you were you were encouraging. Uh, by the way, if you all have Waze, the app at home, you can have the voice of Dexter Morgan guide you to the grocery store now. And Marcos is, Marcos had chimed into the the encouragement of that because I know you're such a fan, Marcos, of just this this wonderful story, this wonderful character that is Dexter Morgan. So to know that to know that you placed him, you were the you're the director who got to help show the scene of what would it be like to have Dexter Morgan on a couch. You know, this is the first time he's ever been on a couch, right? It's my favorite scene of the series that I've done. Um, and there's a quick little story behind it. And when, before we started, we had a obviously massive casting call for uh, the Harrison character. And, and we knew that we would need someone who had to go toe to toe with Michael. Uh, and it was, that's terrifying. It's terrifying for me. Right. I, I, I'm like, who is this kid going to be? And we auditioned so many young actors, Jack blew us away and Showtime said one thing to me. They were like, you know, we, we'd love to see early on in the schedule because God forbid something doesn't work. You know, we pull the plug and we try again because it has to be right. We want to see a scene that shows the two of them in a way that's going to give us confidence that this, we made the right choice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, look, there's two things. There's one of two scenes that I, I really want to shoot up front. And, and we shot that scene on day two of shooting. Wow. I know, which is crazy. People don't realize, you know, we shot all 120 days we shot consecutively, but the episodes were all mixed and jumbled because of location. So on day two, I'm shooting scenes from episode six and scenes from episode nine and scenes that from... That cave scene where we're outside the cave in this episode, that was my first day. Correct. And then and then Early inside February. the cave was, uh, you know, my months last week. months late. Yeah, your last week. Exactly. <laughs> um, but so we couldn't have the... We didn't have the cabin built yet. Um, the, the interior finished to do, I, I said, it's either got to be the scene in episode two where the two men sit down at the beginning, the opening scene of episode two. Or what I'd really love to do is a therapy scene. So um, we scheduled everything. Um, we That therapist office is in the, the house where next door to the barn where the vet is mm -hmm. in, the, in the show. So we, you know, we shot the the vet stuff and then just moved into that house to do the therapist. We just built an office in there. But I spent a lot of time thinking about how I wanted that scene to be staged. I mean, it's just people on a couch, but if you look at it, there's it's 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 a kind of super stylized, very simple um scene but the camera moves in very specific places in on very specific lines. And I walked away that day going, yeah, this is going to work. Yeah, Harrison is, it's the right Harrison. And I just loved that on day two, uh, Michael got to experience these revelations. Like he, because he didn't know his son. Right. And here we are at the beginning of shooting this journey and he's going to, go into it with this discovery. So it was, there was a lot of design put into that, a lot of thought put into why I wanted that up front. And um, yeah, I just, I love that scene. It, it's my favorite, both scene. There's two scenes in the therapist's office in this episode. And we shot them together. They're my favorite scenes of all 10 episodes. Well, and especially at the top of the scene, when you're, when you only see Dexter and you don't see Harrison and I'm like, wait, is he going like, is he actually going to do this? Is he going to dig in on himself? And then, you know, you reveal that Harrison's on the other end of the couch. There was like a little minute where I was like, 
oh, this could be interesting. You know, he's there alone, but he obviously wasn't. You're right. The whole way the camera movement and the shot choices and he just it was really wonderful. So I love that scene as well. Awesome. Um, you talked, David, you mentioned the caves. Uh, I I wanted to see more at the end. I mean, I'm glad she found Iris. Iris, right? Is her friend mm-hmm. who... Yes. How long has Iris been missing, Marcos? 20 years. In high school, she, she disappeared. And so she's been... That's sort of the whole impetus of why Chief Bishop has this deep passion and obsession to find all these young women because you're going to get that backstory in episode eight, um, seven, actually seven and eight. Mm. I thought the body was in pretty good shape for 20 years, but I'm expecting next week to see like Kurt's wall of women, you know, some sort of a, I don't know, some sort of a museum type thing, which is why he was upset that the, that his latest victim was shot in the eye. You know, and then he was trying to make a prosthetic eye or, you know, the prosthetic piece to go over. So I'm I'm anticipating like further in that cave, there's some stuff that we're going to find. We we and, should go back and do that. That's a pretty good idea. <laughs> I'm always here to help. I mean, that's one thing David will tell <laughs> yeah. you. I'm, I'm full of ideas. Yes. Claire's full of wonderful ideas. This is my favorite part, by the way, of getting to see fans, fans of the show tweet or talk about it online. And, and I, I try not to get too deep in it because I, I can't help but want to interact with people is when they say things like, here's what's going to happen, or I know exactly what it is. And I'm like, they're never right. They're uh, never right. Mm, you get things, people get things like it's, you know, it, yeah, it's, um, it's Kurt. Sure. That's not that hard to. Well, there was after out, episode but, like four, there was no question i think it was episode four where they showed the out exterior that you know the shutter doors yeah where the girl ran i think people would have figured out it's kurt when the deadline article came out saying that kurt was the villain of the series but that's just me um (laughs) you clearly love not just michael c hall but dexter morgan there's there's a lot of love there i can see it in your directing i can see it when you talk about the character what is it that you love so much about dexter wow um I think it's what everyone who became fans of the show originally, that relatability, it's just you, I was rooting for him as this vigilante. Honestly, that the the concept of the show is what I fell in love with first. And then Michael playing Dexter the way he did, I just, uh, it's just, it became, you know, I didn't do season one. I fought to get to become a director in season two after I became, after I was a huge fan and I said to my agents, I'm like, I have to do this show. And they said, we, they have all their, their directors, they're booked up. And I bullied my way into a meeting with um, Clyde and uh, at the time, Sarah and uh, the line producer, Robert Lewis, and literally went in and talked about season one and how huge a fan I was. And then they had an opening and they asked me to do it. And then they, Asked me to do another one. And then next, you know, it's just kind of snowballed. But um, I fell in love with um, Michael C. Hall as Dexter. And then, uh, I don't know. I don't think it's one, just one thing. And I think it's a two-way street. I think he's a pretty big fan of you. And I think we're pretty big fans of you too, Mr. Siega. Um, Thank you, David. And I became a fan of you when I first met you that first day, driving out in the middle of nowhere, Massachusetts, freezing cold, to base camp. From base camp in a van to wherever else they dropped us off into an ATV in a snowsuit. You had on goggles. You had on a COVID mask. You had on a beanie. I had no idea what you looked like for about like <laughs> two weeks. It's yeah. so cold. And there you are. And that's and to meet somebody and immediately trust this person. It's a it's a beautiful thing. And you you do. I appreciate well, my that. You know, David, you uh, you coming on the show the very first day we worked together and in that that scene i had put so much thought into everything except one thing and and i and i said it to scott reynolds that day i hadn't really thought about the nuance of like how 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 funny do i want this character to be 
how broad do I want him to play? Because I was so consumed by everything else. And, um, and the character just always read funny to me on the page. And then when you brought him to life, it was such a wonderful surprise because I just, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought like, what is he going to sound like? What is he, how is he going to do? And it, it's your, your pauses. It's really the look on your face. Most of the time I would, you know, I wouldn't say these things to you because I didn't want you thinking about them, but I would tell um, Tom and, you know, our, the two Toms, our camera operators. I'm like, I, I want his reaction. Mm-hmm. I want to be on him. Uh, but you, you brought a, a levity to the show that I think really makes it, feel like Dexter because we had that in the original and I wasn't sure how um, that was going to manifest itself for these 10 episodes. It was a pleasure working with you. Well, thank you, Marcos. I, I glad that you took a chance on a, a Jewish guy from New Jersey to be a cop in the middle of nowhere. Uh, had I known. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we are thrilled to have on our guest today. You know her as Audrey on the show. She is wonderful. She's fantastic. She is the daughter of Chief Bishop. The uh, As you now know with episode six, she's very much the love interest of, <laughs> of Mr. Harrison. Uh, we have on Johnny Sequoia. Uh, you know her from uh, Believe. You know her, of course, from the show. She's so wonderful in it. And she's going to talk with us today about her love of baking pies. Not eating pies, not... Uh, writing about pies, not drawing pies, about baking pies. So grab a slice, grab a big glass of milk. Let's enjoy. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. All right, just just quickly, Johnny, is there ever a time where it's good to eat a cold pie? Oh, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the... (laughs) That's the answer right there. No, David, that is wrong. But today we are talking about pies on Fanatics. I'm really curious, Johnny, how'd you first get into pies? Like what brought you into the pie fanaticism? I feel like I was destined to make pies straight out of the womb. Uh, it has been something that is in my family for so long. We actually don't know how long my family has been making this specific pie crust. It goes back so many generations that we know it's at least eight generations. But wow. beyond that, we don't know. I, I, I don't think there's... Are, are any of us born pre-eight generations? I, I feel what? like that's as many generations as <laughs> since uh, before Christ. Uh, no, that's a lot. But Well, it's at least two centuries. Yes. Yeah. So so before we talk about, you know, more about that, has the recipe evolved as ingredients have evolved or, you know, is the recipe still like you take a, you know, a block of butter or is it now refined to like two sticks of butter or, you know, have have revisions been made as ingredients have been measured differently and and involved? You know, that's a really great question. I haven't thought about that. My knowledge of it, I think it stayed pretty consistent. I mean, Things definitely change. Like my mom is gluten-free and they definitely didn't have gluten-free. I mean, maybe they did. I don't know if they had gluten-free flour back in the day. No one was eating gluten-free pie in the Civil War. Yeah, I I don't think so. Um, (laughs) But it's a pretty 
consistent ingredient wise routine. I think that some of like the more specialty aspects of my generational pie making comes from certain steps that you actually do that are kind of not as common, mm-hmm. less so the ingredients. So what's one of those steps? Is it like a lot of like hands, not mixers? Yeah. Yeah. So like one, actually one of like the main things that's like very unique to my family's pie recipe is you knead it with your hands exactly 15 times. Nothing less, <sighs> nothing more. And it basically creates the perfect crust that's not too flaky and not too dry. But yeah. <laughs> Something about like putting, like spreading out the air like within the crust, but not like compressing it too much, right? Like that's my own, you know, yeah, assessment. <laughs> yes. And my great grandma also, she was the one who taught me and my mom and my grandma um, all the recipes. She has always like told me that whenever you're cooking any kind of food, but specifically when you're making pie and especially at that kneading part that you just have to like envision love basically and that that goes into your food. It's the most important ingredient. (laughs) It is the most important ingredient. That's beautiful. And I completely buy into that for people who like are rolling their eyes right now. Shame on you. That's you can always taste love when it's put into a recipe. I completely agree. Well, Johnny, I I actually ate ate this pie of yours, didn't I? He did. We all hung out Memorial Day weekend uh, in our little Dexter world, and you baked a, and this is to be specific, you never actually said what pie. This is the apple pie, yes? I made apple pie. Yes, I did. So is this crust, which was delicious, and what's so funny, guys, it's funny hearing this story now, because the what is the first thing I said to you? I said... I thought this crust is amazing. And then you're like, yeah, this crust is like a bazillion years old. And I'm like, hey. And it, it so it really did stand out to me. It was the first thing that I said. I like this crust was phenomenal. And it really is this taste that I I can't remember the last time I had a, a, a crust that tasted so excellent that I was like, you got to taste this crust. Stop. You're flattering me. <laughs> I mean, I've had 12 kneaded crusts. I've had 20 time kneaded crusts, but this 15, I could tell was the, the difference. The holy spot. Uh, <laughs> is it always apple? No, no. It's a big variation of things. I made apple because I didn't have my mom here and I was like, apple's the most simple way to go. But I mean, I grew up making strawberry rhubarb, pecan, meat pie, <laughs> apple pie, blueberry pie, like kind of every pie you can think of. The crust is really like the spine of it. Is is it a secret recipe? It is, but like most of the ingredients are pretty basic. I mean, you got like your butter, your flour, your sugar. There's certain aspects specifically to like apple pie, for example, that like when I'm making apple pie, I'll put lemon juice in it because that really like Actually, when you're baking the pie, it kind of brings out the sourness in the apples almost Mm. and like salt and stuff like that. So there's like little steps that I don't know if everyone, it's like a universal thing that people know, but it's just that stuff that I've learned from my mom and grandma. So have your mom and grandma basically sworn the recipe to secret until you, you know, get uh, a life partner and then you'll be able to reveal to that partner (laughs) The pie crust recipe. Oh, yes. We have, I mean, like, we have at my house, it's, like, laminated. Like, the pie crust recipe is, like, laminated. And it's, like, in a book that's, like, completely handwritten by my great-grandma, who's now passed away. And so it's very, very sacred to my family, for sure. Do you feel like you make the same pie as your mom and as your grandma? Or do you feel like there's a little something different about each of your pies? Um definitely not as good as either of them. So yes, there's something different in that aspect. I mean, they are like pros. My great grandma was a pro. But I think that that's kind of the unique thing about pie making is like every time it kind of creates its own life for itself. No pie is going to taste exactly the same, I don't think. And no pie is going to look the same visually. It's always its own experience and its own little project, which is fun. And you never really know how it's going to taste. I've definitely made some pies where I'm like, oh, this isn't my best work. <laughs> okay. So when I think of pie, I think of the pies you named, like the pecan pie and the apple pie. Are there, you know, sort of more obscure experimental fillings? Or have you ever, you know, created your own, like the Johnny pie? Anything <laughs> like that? 
I think nothing too experimental in terms of like a pie that's very difficult to make that you could call a Johnny pie because it was intense was I made a lemon meringue pie for Christmas and that took me like I did it completely by myself and that literally took me like six hours because it's a very very difficult pie to make and I mean it was a hit at my Christmas party but it was it was an intense experience. Like I was having like, like lower back pain by the end of the night. I like slept really good that it was like a whole thing. <laughs> I love the idea of an 18 year old with lower back pain because she's in her fifth hour of a lemon meringue pie. <laughs> um, That's me. Did you ever try your hand at cakes or was that something in the family ever? Or like, do you know why, do you know why a pie in the family is like, where you said it's been in the generations forever. So do you remember the, the location that the family was in where this original recipe happened? You know, I actually, I wish I knew that. And that's kind of, it goes back to kind of like this mystery of it is that I learned about it from my great grandma who my mom also learned about it from her and my great grandma learned it from her great grandma and like so on. And so it's, it's really been rooted here in my family line for a very long time. And I know that my great grandma would tell me stories about when she, cause she was from Missouri and that she basically was learning how to make pies like without electricity. You know, she was a teenager during the great depression. So it really, really comes back from like, to be honest, it's kind of a mystery. Not totally sure. I want to find a photo of like Abraham Lincoln sitting down to a nice slice of pie. Yes. Your family's pie recipe. Turns out it's my family's pie. Yeah, that would be crazy. <laughs> I mean, but there is a lot of pride, obviously, in like the process of the crust and in the tradition and the passing on. And like your like your grandmother said, like you make it with love. So what is that feeling like inside of you when you decide, you know, to make a pie and then when you are finished with it and you serve it? Oh my God, it's the best feeling in the world. I mean, I'm someone who I'm much more of a giver than a receiver. I love to give so much. And so seeing the way that people react when they like taste your pie or just seeing like their reaction to like the smell of pie, it's so rewarding. And it's kind of just, you know, romanticizing those little things. I love that. Is it like chasing the dragon? Like that, that, sensation of like when you give you know it's just there is something really special about when you've spent a lot of time making something I don't make pies necessarily but I love like crafting and making you know I went through a phase where I like knit everyone a blanket and then I made a bunch of dream catchers (laughs) and it was just really you know it it was more for me than it was for the people who I was giving the gift to I think do you find that true for yourself yeah definitely and like I said, you know, when you're getting back pain in the kitchen of hour five making a lemon meringue pie, it, it's all worth it once you see that it makes other people happy. Mm-hmm. How many days after can a pie be reheated? Like, oh, when my is God. it? When is when are you like, no, it's too it's too far. Gone. I don't know if I'm the right person to ask this question <laughs> because like my family will like keep it for too long. <laughs> Like we have made pies to freeze them to then have if we want to defrost it and eat it later on. But like, especially around the holidays, like that we always have pie, like from November to January, like there's always pie at our house consistently. (laughs) But you know, every morning around that time, it's like I wake up and I go outside to my parents and like they are, you know, having coffee with their pie. It's like, it's always around especially during the holidays. You know, you mentioned freezing it. I just read because I had to transport a cake that I made to another location. And I was really worried about it because it was a little bit of a longer drive. And I read in one of my baking books that if you freeze the cake for just like three hours before you put it in the car and transport it, then it, it will transport better. So there's a pie tip for you that you can steal. Yeah. Don't totally freeze it, but just freeze it for long enough that it like all like, you know, gets nice and congealy. And then when you travel, it'll, it'll heat up to the, you know, room temperature. And when you get there, it's perfect. (laughs) 
The more you know. See, I'm I don't understand science and math, so like <laughs> I don't believe that. I bet you're actually I think actually baking baking is a lot like acting. I'll tell you why. Oh. And and this probably is what makes you a good baker. When you make a pie, you know you start with certain ingredients. You start with flour, butter, sugar, you know, a little bit of spices. And when you're approaching a character, you start with the same thing. You start with you, who you are. And if you want the character to be a certain way, you add one type of spice or you add one type of fruit or you and it's the same with baking. Like you start with the basic things, but then you decide which direction you're going. So see, you're an artist. That's why you're great at pies and great as an actress. Oh, thank you. That's a beautiful analogy. I love that. I've never thought about it that way. We are the pie. We are the pie. (laughs) We're all pie. pie. (laughs) We are all pies. Uh, is, Is a pie from a restaurant ever good? Johnny. Um, I don't want to discriminate. I think yes. I think there are many great pies from restaurants, but I'm definitely a believer in a home cooked meal, a home cooked cookie, <laughs> a home cooked pie. <laughs> Has there ever been a time, a Thanksgiving, a Christmas with a funny pie story? Like, did somebody make a pie or did someone bring a pie over to your family and they were, and you all looked at each other and you're like, oh, you don't bring pies to the Sequoia <laughs> household. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, there actually is, but it's kind of more of a consistent thing that happens. And that is when we celebrate Thanksgiving every single year, because all my cousins, they also love to bake. So there's always kind of this issue of like, oh, we're all bringing pies. (laughs) Like, (laughs) whose pie are we going to eat? Like, and so it's kind of like bring your own pie at the end of the day, because it's like, there are so many. Do you all at least chat with each other and say, okay, I got blueberry, I got apple, I've got shepherd's pie. Yeah, we actually do. We'll like coordinate who makes who, who's pie. Because we all know that we're definitely making pie. So. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here... You're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now ad-free on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus. So it sounds like there's a little bit of a pie season, sometimes oh, starting yeah. in mid-October, going through mid-January. Exactly. So the dates. in the in the on season of pie making, how many pies a week do you make or, you know, your household, let's say? Um, oh, my gosh. It's like it's kind of inconsistent because I can think of times where like we've literally made six pies in one day. And then, like, mm-hmm. not made pies again for two weeks. But mm. to give you, like, an average, I would say probably, like, one pie, two pies a week. Because mm-hmm. also, my going back to giving, my mom is, like, she's taught me since I was young, like, you never go anywhere empty-handed. Like, you always bring something. And so, especially around the holidays, you know, pre-COVID, hopefully post-COVID, like, Everywhere we would go around the holidays, it's like, here's a pie, here's cookies. Like, we just always are bringing the food. (laughs) I love that. I've fallen into, like, here's a bottle of, like, sort of cheap, sort of expensive wine. (laughs) I think I need to get back to, like, my Ohio roots and, like, bring something I made. Well, it sounds like you make cakes, so... Well, I, now I really want to try pies again. But okay, so then all Claire, I'll take your wine. Just don't worry okay. about that. You keep it up with me. <laughs> 
off season, off pie season, what's the longest time you've gone without making one? Um, I mean, months. You know, I hadn't I hadn't made a pie until Memorial Day weekend since I got here, which I've been here since, you know, January. So mm-hmm. time goes on. I'm not that <laughs> I'm not that addicted. <laughs> but <laughs> Johnny, going back, going going back to the story, uh, are you now all as the family eating each other's pies? Do you all stick to your own pie? Is there like a mild, like tiny contest that happens ever? Oh my what god! What happens after all? You have ten pies sitting in front of you now. We share. There's... We definitely share. I mean, I yeah, we all share. We're 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 very good at you know supporting each other's dreams, aspirations, and pies. <laughs> <laughs> So I remember growing up, my mom did make pie crust. It, trust me, I already know that it wasn't as special as yours because oh, she was a very basic baker. God bless you, mom, if you're listening. Um, but we were from Ohio, so there was not a lot of like seasoning, spice. Everything was kind of bland. But the extra, once we put the pie in the pie pan and, you know, pinched around the edges, which is what we did. I don't know if that's part of your process. Yeah. The extra pie stuff we would get to cut off, put butter and brown sugar on and put it in like the little toaster oven and get to have like that was like the treat of making the pie. Did do you guys do any like traditions with the excess crust like that? Literally exactly what you just said. Oh, my gosh. We're twinning with our pie crust. Exactly that. Ever since I was a kid, I would always be like, is there any extra pie crust? Because we would lay them out and kind of create these like sticks, kind of what you explained. Brown sugar, cinnamon, butter, heat it mm-hmm. up. I haven't and tried a toaster, but usually we put it in the oven, but that's a even quicker idea. Well, we had like, you know, those little toaster ovens, which are kind of obsolete now, you know, because everybody has a microwave. But before the pre-microwave days, you know. And what about different sh- sizes and shapes of pies? Do people experiment with like the minis or the, uh, I mean, I don't want to bring up McDonald's, but like they're <laughs> pot- those like things that will burn your mouth. I have, I've made <laughs> mini pies, which are so cute. I remember making mini pies for like my middle school class or something like that. So I, I've, I've tried around with different variations of size sized pies. I think that most consistently it's like a nine inch pie though. Mm. Our producer just chimed in saying that her family calls them pie crust cookies. Oh, that's perfect. What you two ladies make. Mm. Pie crust cookies. Uh, It's part of the experience though. Like that's like for me as a child and now now I need to stop being lazy and do the pie crust cookies and the pie with my kids because that is like what you remember. You know what I mean? For me, I've been out of the house many years. (laughs) Now I have my own family and and I do want my kids to have those same type of like cooking, baking memories. You know, it's really about the bonding and, and like you said, the passing down of the heritage, you know? No, it, it it's very valuable to me. Like they will forever be such core memories of learning how to bake with my great grandma and, you know, her passing on that, you know, baton to me. Mm-hmm. Do you like, do you ever teach other people in your life how to bake pies or is it this, is this a, yeah. like a meditative thing for yourself? I mean, I think it's both. I definitely love to show people how to bake pies. Like I've taught my best friends how to bake pies. I mean, Alano and Dewanda, uh, they know how to bake, but I went over for Memorial Day weekend pies and baked over there and was like showing them how I do it. And it was a lot of fun. And just to be clear, everyone, Alano and Dewanda, Alano Miller is on yes. our wonderful show, Dexter, uh, and his wife is uh, Dewanda also. Yes. Good old Logan. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah did, Officer Logan. Officer He's Logan. my superior. Uh, <laughs> Why, why? So obviously we know that it passed down in the family and this and that. So when you are going to go bake a pie, obviously it's if there's someone's inviting you over for a beautiful dinner, that's a nice reason, I'm sure. Yeah. But what do you what are you feeling when you're baking a pie? If you ever had to ask yourself and we, and this is one of my favorite things about this podcast of like, why? Why do you think you love baking pies? You said, you know, this is this is your thing. And when you like ask yourself this, what what kind of comes up for you just knowing that this is one of your favorite things? Yeah. I mean, 
there's there's a lot of reasons as to why, but I think that the main one is just feeling like a deeper connection to myself in a way. I don't I don't know if that even makes sense, but it's kind of like what you said of how when you're baking, you kind of go into this like meditative state. And I think that there's something very healing about that. And then of course, tied with the fact that it's something that's been in my family for so long and something that my great grandma who is now passed on has taught me. So it, it makes me feel close to her in a way that I no longer can be because we used to always bake together. Mm. Also, it's just, it's something so special to me because I found that consistently throughout my life, baking and especially with pies has always been something that I've been able to come back to when I need to be grounded, when I need to kind of reconnect to those roots, reconnect to myself. I don't know. It it, it really does come back to that. And like, I, I especially like throughout high school, like I really struggled with just not feeling like I was right for that, you know, high school setting. And I struggled with anxiety. I struggled with depression for a little bit. And baking pies and like really being able to have that practice and just and like a lot of different practices, it was something that really grounded me and made me feel better. And I always at the end of the day, like being able to eat it, it, it made me feel better. I mean, it, it kind of like the, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it sounds so simple, like, oh, baking pie. But it's like about realizing your place in the universe, like and that you can create and that things are so much bigger than just one person in one moment. You know what I mean? And that may sound really existential. But like when I one of my prized possessions is I have three of my grandmother's aprons and like they were made out of flour sacks, you know, yeah. but they're, and I, I refuse to wash them, which maybe is gross, but <laughs> I don't care. You know, I mean, that's like, when I put that on, I'm just reminded of, you know, how, how small one person is and, and how big the world is. I don't know. It sounds really crazy, but I totally get where you're coming from. I completely agree. I completely agree. I think that there is yeah. something really beautiful and like, the universal also connection of like so many, like, so like you could probably like two and five people, I don't know, <laughs> probably bake pies. It's something that a lot of people can do, which is also like the beauty and it being something that, you know, universally people can connect to and connect with each other through. And also I think that it's a nice symbol of, you know, a lot of times pies are given to people as gifts, like I said. So to give that gift to yourself or to someone else, I think is special. I mean, if it's about, you know, community and family, you know, is it, do you say it's better to bake with someone or do you prefer to have these sort of quiet moments alone? Like my wife is, you know, you guys have a, a connection in that she, uh, to me, baking a pie sounds like work. Yeah. But to her, it's exactly that. It's whatever's going on during the day, no matter what, whatever's going on in my life, whatever's going on in my headspace. I have this very tangible, tactile thing yeah. that's beautiful. It smells good. It gets me out of my head and into the space. And, and at the end, the, I get to smell this beautiful thing, eat this thing, and it connects her to a, a sense memory. It sounds very similar. You know? yeah. uh, do, you, do you enjoy doing it more alone? Or would you prefer, do you prefer having someone in the kitchen with you? I know you've done it with other people or taught yeah. people, but like, do you actually prefer multiple people or do you really like doing it sort of by yourself? I think it really just depends on where I am in that moment in my life on all the circumstances because you know when it's Christmas time and there's Christmas music playing like I love to just be baking with my mom it's so special but then you know in times when I was like really having a hard time in high school and like just struggling with anxiety and like literally just needed to do something to get out of my head, like you said, and like into my body. It was, you know, putting my AirPods in, listening to Radiohead and like baking a pie. <laughs> like Baking a pie. No one could yeah. talk to me. Like my parents would come in and it was like, I'm in my zone. Like you need to, you need to leave now. <laughs> like, you know, so I, I think there's both versions of it, which also, again, is really beautiful because it can be there for you in either time when you're happy, when you're sad, all of it. So I, I know, it. I know you're a nice person. So this is going to be a hypothetical situation, not like <laughs> you would actually do this, oh, no. but <laughs> you're having the party and someone comes and they bring like one of those, you know, pre-made Marie calendar, whatnot <laughs> oh, no. pies in a box. 
what not what you say, not what you say out loud, but what does the little voice inside your head say? I'm going to eat this and look like it's the best thing I've ever eaten. (laughs) (laughs) You're a good person. You are a good person. Um, That's really funny. Yeah, there's always those moments at the dinner parties when stuff shows up and you're like, oh, okay, I'll put that in the back. Yes, yes. (laughs) Has there ever been one of your family members? It could, because you certainly didn't do it, I'm going to say. But has there ever been a family member, at least, who has made a pie that just came out so bad and you all gave them so much shit? (laughs) Actually, I love that you have this faith in me because it's actually happened to me before. I was the person who made the pie that we were all kind of like, um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm exposing myself, everyone. Um, <laughs> this is vulnerability. Uh, but yeah, so there, my mom is from Idaho and there is this pie contest called the Huckleberry Pie Contest in Donnelly, Idaho, which Donnelly has a population of, I think, maybe a hundred people. Very, very small town. And so one summer, my mom and I were like, let's compete in the pie contest. Like, let's do it. And so she decides that we have to make a huckleberry pie because, well, obviously it's a huckleberry pie contest. And I don't have any experience making huckleberry pie. It was like my first time. And so, of course, we get all the supplies ready. We're, you know, we're about to do the thing. And then she gets like a really important work call that she has to go and do and like basically like leave for hours to take. And she's like, but you need to make this because the pie contest is at like five today. And I was like, oh, my God. okay." And so I made it. And let's just say we didn't win. (laughs) It wasn't my best. Hey, I've been there, girl. I have I have (laughs) I have failed in the kitchen. And you know what? You fail with pride. And it's actually like a really funny story that you tell for like you just told us. It it happens. Have you ever been a rebel and kneaded the dough a few extra times or a few less times than 15? If I'm being honest, I have. And, you know, I think that the kneading 15 times really does come with all of the ingredients being measured absolutely perfectly. And like I may have said, I'm not the best at math. So (laughs) (laughs) there has been times where I'm like, need more flour, need to like knead it. Sorry, doing it a couple extra times. Like, so yes, it's happened. No one's perfect. <laughs> no one's perfect. I, I'm always the one who, like, when I'm baking, I'm always like, yeah, that doesn't look quite right. Like, add a little bit more of the oil or the, exactly. you know, especially, like, the oil. Because sometimes I feel like that is really an important, uh, you know, component in getting the especially baking going. Cake. That's what makes it really good and moist. Mm-hmm. Or too moist. <laughs> and don't substitute olive oil. I learned that lesson a long time ago. One time I was like, I don't have vegetable oil. I'll just use olive oil in this cake. Oh, <laughs> the, yeah. the cake tasted I've horrible. I've actually done that too. I did that with macaroons once with like avocado oil. It was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Is this a tradition that you are going to pass on to your children? Should you have them? Of course. 100%. Uh, I got to know, Johnny, just if I were to take a bite of that awful pie at that contest, is it would I have gotten Would the fork so have like, broken I'm through the crust? I'm literally taking this random pie that I've never made before and can't even try <laughs> to watch can, like, you know, the judges eat it in front of me. <laughs> Idaho's finest. So I'm standing around with like, you know, all these women who and men in like rural Idaho who have probably been making huckleberry pie specifically like their whole lives. And I'm watching the judges, you know, try their pies and like their reactions. Are like, Oh my God, <laughs> like crazy reactions. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm literally like turning into like a little shell. Like I'm like, I don't want to watch this. Like I'm nervous. And they took a bite and it wasn't like a, uh, like they didn't like spit it out, but it just definitely wasn't in comparison to the faces of the other pies, but it's fine. <laughs> Johnny, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Exactly. And makes you a better baker. All right. We love to end on this note. It's our, it's our happy place. Can you please regale us with a love letter to baking pies? So it can begin oh, as simple so as dear baking pies. Okay. Dear Making Pies, thank you for all the times you've supported me, for all the times you've made me feel better, 
for all the times you've made me feel full and happy and full of joy. I love you. You taste delicious. If after talking about you for an hour, really want to make one of you. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of love, Johnny. <laughs> I love it. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much, Johnny. You are amazing. This was a super fun episode. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Also my first podcast. So I'm very happy to have done this for my first time. Claire, what is your favorite pie? Oh, geez. That's like asking me to pick a favorite child. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There, it's so sweet, but I love a good pecan pie. But you mm. know what's so amazing is like literally a pecan pie, I feel like a whole entire bottle of that white Cairo goes in. And like, what else do you use that stuff for? That's like exclusively for pecan pies nowadays. Do you even know what I'm talking about? The white Cairo I syrup? Know, I didn't, the fact that you just said that out loud, I've never heard that word said out loud. I've seen it in the stores. Cairo? Yes, Cairo. It's like yes. a syrup? It's like it's like a white. It's basically what you need for pecan pie. It's it's delicious pecan pie. But I love sweet potato pie, and there is nothing wrong with some good berry pie. Claire, being up here in Massachusetts, they freaking love their berries. And Maine yeah. is all blueberry land. And we we've been in Maine a couple of times, and I had a blueberry pie, and I was yeah. very very. But blueberries are my favorite fruit and my favorite pie. And that's yes. been a delight to be up here. They got raspberry ice creams in ways that I haven't had it before. So, yes, a berry pie is very good. You know, it's very, very good. <laughs> but, you know, I do try to feed my kids berries every morning because out of all the fruits, the berries are what's supposed to make you, you know, the synopsis in your brain, like, click a little faster. Antioxidants. So it, at least during the school year, I'm like, eat the, all the berries, all the berries you want. Um, <laughs> You know what but we didn't I, get to ask her, though? We didn't get to ask what? what her design of her crust is, if it's a lattice design. Although I think Ooh. I did since I the, – well, the, hold on. I think I just answered my own question because I actually had some of her apple pie, and she does do a lattice design. So there you go. So oh, there you does. go. So I clearly, like that. Which makes sense. That's I feel like that's just classic. It just kind of, you know, probably creates the most air into – the filling, I don't know. I don't bake. I'm making. I'm making it up. Does that sound? I don't know. Good to but you? What, my one of my things. I mentioned the aprons that I have from my grandmother, which are very, very special to me. Yes, the but smelly, the other smelly thing, aprons. Yeah, the other thing about like the pie making is, I if I were to get into pie making, which this is one of these topics that I'm not coming away saying I'm going to bake a million pies. But what I am saying, I'm going to try to do, bake a pie or at least bake more with my children to, you know what I mean, kind of pass along the tradition. But I like the different pie dishes. Like I'm really into red and orange dishes right now, like ceramic dishes that you can put in the oven. So it's like the pie gear that goes along with it. I think I could really get into. Maybe Uh, I've become fanatical about the pie gear more than the pies. Anyway, it was an awesome episode. Johnny is such a sweet girl. Everyone make sure you tune into Dexter. Either way, Johnny Sequoia on Fanatics Baking Pies. Make sure you guys let us know what you think on Twitter. We are Fanatics. Thanks for tuning in. Love you guys. All right, before you guys go, let's talk about what's going on next week. We have on Giselle Jimenez. Yes, you know her as Tess on the new Dexter New Blood. And of course, you'll see her in the new Netflix film of Tick, Tick, Boom, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. But let's forget about all that for a second and enjoy the fact that she loves organizing her home so much. So come back next week for a very neatly packaged new episode. Thank you for listening to Fanatics, a Roddenberry podcast. For more episodes and info, head over to wearefanatics.com or tweet your Fanatics thoughts and stories at wearefanatics. Yes, that's we are F-A-N-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. Our show is hosted by Claire Kramer and me, David Magadoff. Produced by me, Claire Kramer, and Kelsey Goldberg. Executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham. And you can thank Stephen Mudd for our theme song. Catch us next Thursday for another Fanatics episode. We're baking something good around the neighborhood. 
when you think of bacon pie. The answer is you should, or at least you should try. Okay, except I'm really bad at baking, and I'm not being humble. At least you should try.